0: We'll Welcome each to you. I'm Brian Frazier and this is Journey to the Stage. This is episode number 22 and this chat is one that is very special to me and so is my guest and you're about to find out why here in a minute. Probably most of you don't know this but there are over 4 million podcasts in the world. That's a lot of podcasts. and It's a huge challenge to get word out and especially if you're like me don't have a marketing budget so the best way to help a podcaster like me is to share an episode that you enjoy with your friends on your socials leave a kind review follow or subscribe it's really helpful to indie podcasters if you'd like to follow me on instagram it's journey to the stage podcast also same on facebook facebook.com slash journey to the stage podcast i've got a brand new youtube channel that i'm putting visualized versions of my podcast. You can check that out as well. My guest today is one that's very special to me. We've been friends I think for seven or eight years or so. Ensconced in the artist's throne today is the one and only Christopher Taylor. So let me tell you a little bit about Chris. Chris is an artist and he is incredibly talented as a visual artist who can turn anything into a canvas and can create beautiful work on s- in so many different styles. Chris is also a singer, songwriter, and recording artist. In the 90s, Chris was a founding member of the rock band Love Coma, which featured uh, Matt Slocum, who would go on to be part of Sixpence, None the Richer. As a solo artist, Chris has made so much incredible music, um, and he's hands down the hardest person in rock and roll that I know. Chris Taylor, welcome to Journey to the Stage.
1: Brian, thank you so much for having me. Uh, I'm looking forward to this conversation of spending some time with you. This is super cool. Thank you.
0: <laughs> well, when I had the crazy idea of starting a podcast, I know that I needed a great theme song. So I called you and I actually remember this day, you answered your phone and you said you were sitting in a parking lot and a cat was in, your your wife was doing something and You were just sitting there and I told you I was starting a podcast, wanted to use Arise and Shine as my theme song. And you're like, of course, like there was no hesitation. And I remember the next morning I had an instrumental version of it sitting in my inbox. So thank you for that. And just love that it has been a great part of my show for the first season. I know that song has a a real personal connection to you. Tell us a little bit about Arise and Shine.
1: Yeah, I wrote that song. Uh, Well, first of all, it was my pleasure to sort of allow you to use it because I knew there's just nothing cooler than just getting your song out there in whatever shape or form it it wants to be out there. So uh, when you asked, it was a no brainer for me. And, you know, the fact that you're doing uh, a podcast revolving around other people's music and, and their journeys, it seemed like a perfect fit. Uh, But when I originally wrote the tune, my mom had just passed away and I was kind of going through this sort of strange period of my life where I felt very much like an orphan and trying to navigate a world without my mother in it and uh, even though I was a grown man and had kind of been navigating my own world for quite a, a long time, I found myself still reaching for the phone from time to time, wanting to call her up. And, and so I, I was going through this sort of interesting time within uh, my mind and my spirit. And I ended up writing this song because she, my mother was full of very interesting things to say all along the way. And one of those things I remember, I have like uh, very vague snapshots because I lived with my mother from when I was, of course, very young uh, up until I was about the age of 15. Mm. And then at the age of 15, I moved to Texas. I had previously been living in upstate New York. So uh, then from the age of 15 to, you know, now in my 50s, it's like I had really only known my mother via phone calls and emails, that kind of thing. So, So when she passed... I had all these sort of scattered snapshots of her in my mind. And, mm-hmm. the, you know, one of the things she said to me was she would wake me up for school. She'd always say, rise and shine. And so I had this, wow. I had that sort of in my mind. And then something else she would always tell me is to bloom where I was planted. And so I had these sort of things I wanted to say. And then meanwhile, I was, I was, going through sort of this, I don't know what you'd call it, maybe sort of an argument with the universe as to her death and me feeling abandoned in a way or whatever it was. And so the lyrics to this song sort of encompass all of these things. And I put them all together to create this song called Arise and Shine. And it's sort of a tribute to her, sort of a statement of me, sort of a making sense of where does a man go in his life once he's lost his mother and uh you know that that
0: kind of thing well it's such a universal experience and people who listen to my podcast you know hear that great song in the beginning and end of every every episode but probably don't know that there are actual words to it so what i'm going to do let's pause here for a second let's play a verse and a chorus just so people can hear this is a real song, it's not just an instrumental piece of music, so let's pause here for a second. actually cool to hear that again. I know that there are some bands and artists very early on for you that meant a lot. Who were some of those that you would look back and say, you know, kind of in your early years, man, this, this band, this artist, this singer, whatever, really captured my attention. Who were some of those people for you? Yeah, well,
1: you know, when I was a young kid, you know, I, I would just be listening to like Casey Kasem's Top 40 that, you know, all that kind of stuff where it was just whatever was hot on the radio at the moment. So it, it yeah. could have been anybody from, uh, you know, uh, Men at Work to Duran Duran to Prince to, um, you know, whoever was was happening. Hall and Oates, all of those bands coming up from the early
0: 80s. Yeah. Great pop writers. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. Yes and i loved all of that you know i was just i was just into music i liked anything that kind of came on came on the radio and but the first time i ever really stood up to take notice of a band and kind of realize they've created their own world with their albums and their own sound and their own identity it wasn't just another blue you know a, a sort of a a blueprint of of what was happening commercially on the radio it was right You know, a band like Pink Floyd, I just felt like they, you know, you open up their albums and they just, they, between the art and the lyrics, they they were really telling stories and taking my imagination somewhere.
0: Right. It was an experience, not just a collection of songs.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. And in a completely different way, there was a band like The Cars and they... You know, you look back now and you think, oh, yeah, they were that synth pop band, but they had so much more to them. I moved down here uh, to Texas in like 85 and uh, my world opened up again. Somebody handed me a copy of this band, U2, The Unforgettable Fire. That was the first record they made with Daniel Lanois and Brian Eno as producers. So in, in an artistic way, they kind of went from realistic into surrealistic music soundscapes. And I was really into that. You know, depending on how deep we want to get into this, then it was, uh, I live with very religious father whom I'd never known up until the time I was actually, moved. I moved to Texas to... Kind of visit my father, which ended up being a lot longer than I had thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. And he he and my stepmother were, were super religious, and so it was in that time in the in the early mid '80s where they were burning uh, all of the secular music, and I mm-hmm. had to go to these sort of religious parties where there were bonfires where I was I had to throw my you know my albums into a fire and proclaim. You know, Jesus. It was a very uh, crazy time for me as a as a young teenager, and I found myself, you know, in sort of a a no man's land when it come when it came to music, and mm-hmm. and so on one hand, I was, you know, going to church three or four times a week, and they sort of dished me uh, in, you know, the Maranoff, of praise and worship, sort of like church congregational choir music. And once you've been, you know, once you've been, uh, had a heavy diet of Pink Floyd in your life, uh, church congregation music just didn't seem to fit uh, (laughs) fit, the deal. (laughs) And, but that's when I met another group of kids and they, I I literally had to kind of smuggle into my house these sort of, uh, you know, I really hate labels for, for, you know, all across the board, I hate labels, but... yeah. I know we all we all identify with with a, a label or two, and uh, so I was all of a sudden listening to these bands: the Seventy Sevens, uh, Vector, Daniel Amos, uh, Adam Again, the Choir. Yeah. And they were saying this is Christian music too, but all I had ever known of Christian music was were these sort of congregational worship tunes and. Right. And I couldn't make heads or tails of it, but I knew I loved it, and so I felt <laughs> like I found I found the people that that I could relate to. I felt like oh, I started to dive into. Uh, I tried to seek out, you know, magazines and and uh, and other other avenues that I could get to know more about these bands. And pretty soon, you know, that was sort of my way in. I knew at that point I wanted to do music, and I was like, I need to get. To know these bands, I want, I felt like connected to them, in a way, uh, in a way that I couldn't. I couldn't possibly connected to the Cars or Pink Floyd or whatever. Like yeah. I felt like yeah. I had a chance to
0: meet them and know them, and
1: you know, mm-hmm. it was a thing.
0: Well, I know that um, we'll talk about Mike Rowe from the '77s in, in a little bit, because I know he he came into your life and and you guys are have become friends and everything yeah. over the So we'll definitely chat more about that and those those were some great bands I mean obviously those are bands I still listen to the the music the lyrics the vibe the feel everything was just so incredible for sure so personally as a as a musician then so really some of them are what inspired you is that what made you pick up a guitar for the first time and thinking maybe this is something I can do maybe I maybe I can actually make music of my own like tell me a little bit about that
1: you know i have a a vivid memory of the first time i ever felt like I, wa- I like i knew i i wanted to be a musician and it was it was really hearing u2's unforgettable fire and a, specifically there's a song on that record called bad mm-hmm. it has this sort of musical a very hypnotic trance like musical thing happening to it it's only like mm-hmm. two chords repetitive throughout the the majority of the song and there was something in the music that made me like when I put headphones on and I heard it and I heard this not just what's happening with the guitars, but there was something happening around it you know they had i remember I remember specifically like Larry Mullen was hitting a tambourine but somebody put put like this little echo on the tambourine i I felt like like now I, I i can tell you now what it is but when i was a young kid all i knew was the way it made me feel right. and i'm like i want to create music that makes me feel like this like wow. it it became an instant drug like like where somebody would want to put a needle in their arm and inject something into their bodies because they want to be transported from this world music was going to do that for me i wanted to create music to transport my melancholy, my depression, my insecurity, all of that stuff that I had when I was a kid, I knew mm-hmm. music was transportation
0: out of those feelings for me. Of course, I, I, and I think that's really cool to hear somebody else talk about feeling music is I I sometimes wonder if if I'm some kind of freak of nature, but there are songs that cause a significant internal feeling to me. And it's not just an emotion. It's, it's like a stirring that is really hard to describe, but those who have felt something similar can, can understand like being moved by music in a way that's really beyond words to describe. And it's sad. I think as I get a little older, I don't feel that quite as much or with as many pieces of music, but man, it is a great feeling to be stirred so foundationally uh, by music is really a cool thing. And that's neat that that really is what inspired you. I I want to do this because of how I felt when I listened to this song. That's, that's actually really cool. And that the fact that you could remember that moment, those bands, you were, you talked about early on that were so important to you. Do you hear their influences at all in, in what you're doing today or music you've made on your own musical journey?
1: I don't think so, only because, and I don't want to sound like a false sense of humility or whatever, but I I don't think I'm as as good of a musician as all of those bands I was listening to. But I'm more interested in almost like surrendering
0: to the ongoing current of music. Well, and I'll just say as a a friend and a fan, and don't sell yourself short, it reminds me of when I had... Mike Rowe on, he talked about when he heard Eddie Van Halen, he's like, okay, this is my line in the sand. I'm going to not so much focus on becoming the greatest guitar player. Although we would all agree the guy's incredible, Mm -hmm. but really focused more on his songwriting. And uh, so it's interesting. There's a common thought there. I want to play a song. We talked about a, a couple of options. Your album, Lovers, Thieves, Fools, and Pretenders, has a great song on it. Everything begins here. And for people who aren't familiar with your music, it's probably a good place to pause and let's play something. I really, really love this song. Let's play it, and then we'll talk about it on the backside. Sure.
2: The begins here.
0: is a great rock song but you're almost rapping the verses which i like there's like a there's this rhythmic thing you're doing vocally tell us a little bit about that song it's got a great feel to it
1: yeah yeah i am um, you know that song was written and recorded and ready to go and then uh as with the rest of lovers thieves fools and pretenders as an album i finished that album um recorded it all and then i put the brakes on it and I got my friend Misty Jones involved in it. And Misty is an amazing uh, musician and a producer. And she was looking for a project to really sink her teeth into. And so I sent her a few tunes and I said, how about you just take everything I've done and just, you know, put it through the steroid machine, <laughs> you know, like just, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, she has a whole other set of colors that I don't have at her disposal. And her and I think just enough alike to where um, I there's a, there's a trust uh, in that kind of working relationship. And then she also has a whole different set of colors that she can use that I would have never thought of. And so I basically, you know, she's up in Nashville now. And so I basically sent her all the files of all these songs. And I said just keep the spirit of it and and then have fun like there's i'm not going to micromanage you and so uh and i said take all the time you need so we were sending files back and forth and you know every time i would get something in my email inbox it was like christmas morning you know just it would be a feast (laughs) for my ears and and uh so whenever we did everything begins here i knew instantly it was something really really special so It kind of started off like this. There was a tweet uh, from Mike Scott from the Waterboys, and his tweet said, Welcome to London. Everything begins here. And I just was like, everything begins here should be a song. And so I direct messaged Mike Scott from the Waterboys, and I said, Hey, Mike, I write songs, and I didn't know if I could just take this title. Can I use this little part of your tweet and use it as a song title as sort of a jumping-off point for the song. And he's like, yeah, go, go for it. So I wrote this whole song around that. It is kind of a bit of a rap because I never want to be so tied down to one particular thing to where I can't Mm -hmm. see what's happening in the current state of music. And there's some, like, I'm not a huge fan of rap music, but I really love the idea of a great beat and a, a wicked vocal delivery line that has the essence of uh, movement and motion and something powerful that you're speaking. And I felt like, ah, this song needs to be about that.
0: It needs to kind of have that in its forefront. That's really cool. Uh, and the new Waterboys album is is pretty awesome. I'm sure you've heard it already. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love it. Yeah, it's really, really good. One of the things that really strikes me about this whole album are the beats. I mean, there's some nasty old-school rhythms and beats in this that I I guess come from the production work that that Misty did. And I think as an artist, you really entrusted a lot to her. That would take a lot of trust to be able to turn over something you've created and say, go for it. Um,
1: Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't do that with just anybody. But because Misty and I have known each other for a while... And we both are kind of cut from the same cloth musically. And I, in, you know, it's, it's really about instincts when it came to this record. I knew, like I had already finished the entire album. I have, the, I have a version of this album that is done and mastered and, uh, and ready to be put into the world. And then I, I thought this could be so much more if I got
0: Misty involved. Well, and you could always release it as the unmystified version or something.
1: Yeah, yeah, I could.
0: Here's an interesting little tidbit. I have a very large music library. I love music, obviously. It's why I'm doing this podcast. But I have more albums by Chris Taylor than I have of any other artist. And I think that says a lot. You are, and I, M- Mike Rowe and I were, were talking about you when when I had him on my podcast and he's like, does this guy ever stop working? And I'm like, no, you really are so prolific. I've got over 60 albums by you. That's incredible. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. (laughs) But what I love is that you don't sacrifice quality for quantity. You've got an incredible sense of melody and you dabble in enough styles and feels and vibes musically that keeps it all fresh. And unique. What is it? What is that fire that is within you that makes you want to create music?
1: Uh, That's a really good question. I've had this sort of a mantra in my life for the last few years. And it's the mantra started off you know, fight fear, make art. That could easily be fight depression, make art, fight anxiety, make art. It's whatever sort of overtakes you in the moment and you know as an artist we're always uh, as an artist who's kind of on their own we're always worried about how we're going to pay the rent the bills are coming in fast and furious and how is this going to get paid and oh my god there's no gigs on the calendar Mm -hmm. uh what are we going to do it's that it's that crazy like uh did i choose this life did it choose me how am i going to and so what's kept me going, I dive into creating sounds and beats and rhythms and writing, you know, lyrics that put my heart in a peaceful state. And then it's my choice whether I want to release that to the world or, or keep it to myself for whatever reason, is, it, you know, because that's a whole other story, you know. What, what's the point of releasing new music into the world because there's, like, 8 billion other people trying to do the same thing every day.
0: <laughs> right. I remember you telling me several years ago that, that you don't like to sit still very long, well, not counting watching uh, Mission Impossible 4 last night. Did you finish it last night, by the way? Uh, of course. Yeah, <laughs> right. for the awesome. eight, 18th time. <laughs> <laughs> nice. But artistically, I know that you've always preferred to keep moving, and I can appreciate that. You are you love to create, and I know that's when you feel probably most comfortable uh, in your skin. We're going to talk more music here because we've got your band to talk about, but I want to make sure we talk about you as a visual artist, because in my opinion, I think you're a brilliant visual artist and I'll put a link in the show notes so people can actually see what we're talking about. At what point in your life did you realize you, you had a knack for that type of, uh, of an artistic expression?
1: Well, I've always done, I mean, ever since I can remember, you know, whether it was with the crayons and colored pencils or magic markers, I've always was drawing on something, doodling on pieces of paper. Long before music ever entered the picture, there was, there was me drawing stuff. And it was, again, to amuse myself. I didn't think I was talented in that way. I just knew I wanted to do it. And I remember, I think it was the electric company that had the Mad Painter He would paint with like mustard and mayonnaise, you know, and he'd paint the number eight on a bald guy's head or whatever. (laughs) You know, he'd show up like in a swimming pool just out of nowhere. And you're like, what the heck is this guy? And I remember loving him so much. I like, I want to be that guy that paints on everything. and doesn't even necessarily have to use actual paint. I can just, everything is art, you know? And, He has actually much, the mad painter is much more of an influence on me than any historical artist along the way. The great thing about creating a piece of visual art, a painting, for instance, is that it's so immediate. It's not done by committee. It's instantaneous. You put color on a canvas, you push it around for a little bit and either it's something or it's nothing. But even if it's nothing, it's still something. Yeah. You know, if you don't know what it is, it must be art, kind of thing.
0: (laughs) Well, and I remember uh, it's been several years now, but you created a little piece of visual art for my family, for my son Jacob. (laughs) It's kind of a family inside joke, but I don't know if you remember that. It was. uh, Oh, I remember
1: it. I remember it. I feel (laughs) ridiculous because, you know, I have a I have a very warped sense of humor, and so <laughs> when I reveal that to other people who don't really know me, it's always a it always puts me on edge because I don't want you know I don't want to I'm not looking to go around offending people, but at the same time, my humor and my sense of humor I laugh at the most warped and weird <laughs> and wicked things, and so I can appreciate that. Yeah. So every once in a while, I'll just do something like I did with you guys and say, all right, you know, <laughs> it's out there now. It's too late to take it back.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny. Well, I came from me, me. I won't share the story because my son, Jacob would be upset with me, but this is when we, you and I grabbed some coffee. I was in San Antonio on a business thing and I shared something with you and <laughs> out came the painting, which was, which was super cool. So here's a question for you. When you sit down at the easel and when you sit down to write a song, Effectively, in both of those scenarios, you're in front of a, an empty space, an empty canvas, empty air. How similar and maybe even how different are those two things for you?
1: Well, I think lately they're probably merging together in a literal, abstract way. I don't like looking at something blank too long. If I'm staring at a blank white canvas, it's intimidating. It's, uh, there's, there's nothing there and you're trying to envision something. The same way as if I open up a software program and there's nothing but a click track going, and you're like, oh, the possibilities are endless. Like, where do I, where do I start? So I, I try to, like, when it comes to the visual art, if I have a piece of charcoal handy, which I always uh-huh. try to have one, i end up i screw up that canvas as quickly as possible i make marks (laughs) all over it so i'm already destroying this canvas and putting this ridiculous like you know there's no rhyme or reason to any of this Mm -hmm. and so but then it allows me like okay i've got all these marks all over here now how do i paint over it what what is this first layer going to look like and then i'm i'm able to kind of be free Well, the canvas is already messed up so i'm already kind of free in a sense to to kind of just put whatever it is out there now musically speaking back to the digital software you're looking at a blank track mm-hmm. uh, I try to fill it up with I try to pre-make things I'll make my own drum loop pattern I'll I'll put six or seven minutes of a keyboard part that's only one dr- long drone just so there's no silence, it's just sort of a, but it sets a mood, it sets a tone for what I'm going to do, so now I'm like, okay, and I'm not really going to create a, you know, in that instance, I'm not going to try to create a pop song or something that's maybe as memorable, but if you take a song like April Moon, which is on Mm -hmm. Lover's Thieves, Mm -hmm. before it was anything, it was a six minutes of a D minor drone, and then... In that drone, I took out this little classical guitar I had and just was like this little riff came to me. This But if I didn't have that keyboard drone, I would have never come up with this sort of this little hypnotic riff that was just yeah. looped over and over and over again. Right, right. And then once you had that, then you're like, okay, let's put a little drum what kind of drum would go under this? And it just slowly builds and builds, and pretty soon, you know, it becomes its own thing. Left to my own devices, it's usually me making a colossal mess until something beautiful starts to shine its way through.
0: That's really, really interesting. See, to me, Chris Taylor, the the visual artist, and Chris Taylor, the musical artist, are, are very similar. And I know that probably is obvious and and maybe even sounds silly, but let me explain and I think you'll see what I mean. As a musical artist, you move in and around so many different styles and with so many different musical elements. Like we talked about bringing Misty in to do this, you know, these kind of funky rhythms and things. And you're not afraid to experiment. Like when you brought in, you know, that kid singing for Down Goes the Day or... You've got songs that have great gospel feel to them or rap mm-hmm. little rap feel electronic music industrial i mean instrumental and so on i mean there's so many styles that you move in and around as a visual artist you really work in a similar fashion you paint in so many different styles there is definitely a chris taylor style that i've seen over the years by seeing so many different things that you've created but you also do things that are Vastly different in so many different styles. Is that variety something you have to push yourself to? Is it born out of kind of a maybe an internal restlessness, a desire to see where things can go? What fuels that for you?
1: Oh man, you know, it's like I never went to school for art, but you know, having something like YouTube at your fingertips to where you can really discover something completely new and different. Like a few months ago, I stumbled upon this Japanese artist painting a watercolor. And it was one of the most beautiful, almost spiritual experiences I've had via YouTube. And I'm watching this Japanese artist and the the time he took to place each stroke and the brushes he used. And I was just like, holy, wow.
0: I know that you paint on so many different types of surfaces. <laughs> you talked about the guy on the electric company painting on somebody's bald head, but I've seen you paint on guitar bodies, on jeans. I mean, if there's a surface, you can paint on it. People can commission you to paint things. And so I'll put that link there. So um, you talk about a unique gift for somebody, a guitar, a guitar case, a pair of jeans, whatever, furniture. I mean, you can you turn anything into a canvas.
1: Yeah, yeah, why not?
0: Now I know before Chris Taylor was a solo artist or known as a solo artist, you formed a band in the nineties. Tell us a little bit about how Love Coma came into existence and then we'll we'll play a song here in a minute.
1: Sure. Well, I was into this the idea, I've always wanted to be in a band. Every every band I ever loved, you know, whether it was Eck and the Bunny Men or U2 or The Water Boys, they There was something special when those musicians played together and i never considered myself some sort of virtuoso on my guitar so i always felt like early on it was kind of an insecurity like oh i need to have other musicians around me to make this thing that i'm hearing in my head so i had this thing going called chris taylor and windows and really that was me and like the youth pastor from the church I was at at the time, and I was a real young kid. And then there was another guy from the from the the church as well named Brian. And we would all get together and create like uh, we record ourselves on some uh, four track recording machine, and we nice. put out these little cassettes. And it was Chris Taylor and Windows. You know, <laughs> this is <was> like a, <laughs> awesome. this was like in the mid to late '80s. And so going into the '90s, I knew. I wanted to be in a real rock and roll band and I wanted to make uh, music everywhere. I didn't want to just be like the youth group, you know, church band where we were moving in that direction. And I found some guys that were willing to go out and, and play in the just the club scene around San Antonio and I knew Chris Taylor and Windows was not going to cut it as a band name. And I and I didn't want to really want it to be Chris Taylor and anything. I just wanted to be a part. I wanted to be one person in a band. So that's kind of how Love Coma was born. Sitting in a corner at Dunkin' Donuts late one night, there was about four or five of us, all with pencil and paper trying to come up with a band name. And, and along with a lot of other insane names, I had scribbled on the name Love Coma. And that was the one I felt like, we should go with. And with the new name came brand new songs and a new energy because we knew we had to compete with. Now it's like the early 90s and in San Antonio there's a lot of musical aggression in the rock and roll scene in San Antonio. And so I knew we had to compete with this whole other kind of thing. So it was myself and Chris Dodds on the drums and them um, we brought in a guy named Matt Slocum, introduced to us from a friend of a friend, and um, this guy Jeff Duncan on bass. We made a record. I look back on it now, and it feels much more like a demo, like a really good demo. Mm-hmm. But but it really is our first album. So we made an album called Soul Rash in 92. And uh, we were talking about John Thompson earlier. John Thompson's uh, record label at the time was it called Etcetera Records, and he picked it up. And helped get it distributed for us, and which actually set us on this path of being able to kind of tour. And and we played, you know, some of the bigger festivals at that time. And a couple years later, then we're going to your part of the world. We went to California and recorded um, our second album with Mike Rowe, The 77s. Yeah. After, you know, imagine, of course, you know, a lot of your listeners may or may not know who Michael Rowe is. But he was he's a super intimidating figure. And at the time he was yeah. he was the most intimidating guy I've ever met in my life and, really? and I'm standing there I'm at one of these music festivals with hundreds of people around and they're all, you know, clamoring to get Mike's attention and to have him sign their seventy sevens albums or whatever. And here's me with a cassette tape going, Hi, um, I'm in a band and we love you, you know. <laughs> it's just this crazy it's the thing you had to do, you know, way before right. the internet, way before anything else, and you're like, Would you listen to maybe our stuff and see if he'd want to produce us you know (laughs) it was completely ridiculous and i was so intimidated and like any i was intimidated by everybody you know like a dude in a cooler shirt than me could walk by and i was instantly intimidated by them but so crazy enough we found ourselves in a recording studio with michael Rowe and he was producing our second record language of fools and um this was around 1995 And so, you know, and throughout the course of the way it goes with so many bands to where not enough excitement from the masses, not enough support from a record label, not enough radio, not enough all the things, we just couldn't couldn't survive anymore. And so we took a short 25-year break (laughs) just to kind of, you know, get our bearings in the world again yeah and and finally have have come back with a kind of a new new energy,
0: yeah well, before we talk about what's going on currently with locoma i have uh I know Mike means a lot to you, and he has for many years and as I mentioned earlier, I know that you guys have become friends he um sent a little message for you that I wanted to play for you and actually got this after we started recording so I have no idea what Mike is about to say and we both know this this could get interesting and uh, so let me play this for you this this
3: is from our buddy Mike Rowe Christian Taylor (laughs) this is Michael and Rowe the doctor of love and I just want to say that Chris has been a great friend to me for maybe 25 years and I am a huge admirer of his talent, his voice, his songwriting just everything about him and uh, most especially lately his artwork Um, he's one of the best guys I've ever had to tour with Uh, always pleasant a bit quirky but um, that's the pot calling the kettle because he's had to witness me doing terrible things and (laughs) he always does it with a smile on his face and anyway chris if you're there if you're listening i love you i'm grateful to have you in my life and i'm looking forward to many more years of your great artistic output And I hope we get to tour again because it was so much fun. Lots of love. This is the Doctor of Love signing off. Wow. (laughs) How
1: cool is that? That is, uh, that hits me right in the heart. That's so nice. So, so cool.
0: And thanks thanks for, Doc, for... Taking the time to do that. And I'd reached out to him literally this morning. I'm like, I had this funky idea. And I shot him a text. I'm like, hey, Mike, I'm doing this thing. Chris is going to be on. You have a minute to record something? He's like, sure. When do you need it by? I said, well, we record at 11. He's like, you mean in five minutes? (laughs) (laughs) That's too
1: funny. Oh my gosh.
0: How how cool is that? So so Matt Slocum was was a part of, of the band. And obviously he left to join Sixpence, None the Richer, and they exploded. They were everywhere, all over the radio, on every late night show, selling albums. I mean, they were you, you couldn't get away from them for a while. They were just so huge. What was that like as a former bandmate to see your buddy Matt just being catapulted into this this crazy spotlight world?
1: well I'll, I'll tell you the short version you know the short version was while it was happening in real time it was like i was heartbroken because i felt like i tried so hard to create a band that was unique and special and just the four of us you know right, taking right. on the world and so to see matt's success and and Sixpence's success was uh it was heartbreaking for me because I felt like the bastard stepchild of Sixpence, like, oh, we'll never, that'll never be us now. Now it's just never going to happen. Now I was young, insecure. I knew Matt was so special. His, the way he plays his guitar, so few people play guitar like that. And to lose him was to lose a huge part of our sound and our identity. And I, I knew then it was like, it was something like, even though I was trying to build a band, I really felt like I was building a family. I was trying to build my own family. I never really right. had a, never really had that tight knit family, and so maybe I was, I was so into building a family that it hurt even more. Now, sure. looking back on it, all these years later, everything worked out exactly the way it was supposed to work out. And Matt has always been has always been Matt. And he's always been such a great guy, like from the get go. And to this very day, he he is uniquely him. He hasn't let he hasn't let the business side, the money stuff, all the all the insane battles that he's had to go through with his between record labels and just all the things that Sixpence has had to go through in their career. Yeah, right. Um, he hasn't let that turn him into a, a jaded rotten soul which could easily happen even now when i go into the grocery store and i hear kiss me or there she goes (laughs) i just have this smile on my face like this is just it's gonna it's gonna be around me for the rest of my life but the thing about it is is i love matt and i love lee so much that i wouldn't wish anything less than success for them whether it be financial or whether it just be musical success like
0: i want them to continue and flourish and succeed well it kind of would be like in in a dating relationship you know you're you're with somebody you care about and they leave you and they connect with a guy who's and they just thrive they're rich and all this and that and you're like man that's you know at one hand you're happy and the other hand you're like "Mm, that could have been us so i i you know and we're all growing and maturing in our perspective, but I could totally see how that would sting a little. So I, I can appreciate what you shared. You guys made an absolutely great album in 2020. We're gonna play a cut here in a second, but kind of give us the Cliff's Notes version of how you guys got back together and how this album happened. And then we'll listen to Burn the Night Away, which is a really, really cool song.
1: Thank you. So. Yeah, the Cliff Notes version would be, so the guy who, who came in after the aftermath of not having Matt Slocum in your band, like, what do you do? You can't right. find a guitar player that even sort of plays like him because there aren't any. So what do you do? Well, you just go with the, the next guy you can find that kind of works out. And this guy was named Chris Mattingly he came in around 95 and stayed with us for the next for the making of Language of Fools he he was the guitar player on that record and then we were demoing and writing and touring all the way up until 97 and so Manningly and I we sort of lost touch and he went his way I went mine but there was never any bad blood and so back in 20 maybe 2018 2019 I get a phone call out of the blue from a number I didn't recognize when I picked it up. And he's like, Taylor, I got some songs. (laughs) And I hadn't heard this voice in a very long time. And so there it was Chris Manningly. And after a few minutes, just catching up, he was like, I've, I've got some tunes that, can I send them to you? So I'll get these emails with these instrumentals. And the first one I heard was, um, I don't know. At that point, I might have been called Mattingly Jam, you know, forty-seven or something. Right. And it was a it was an instrumental that eventually became a song called "The Boomerang" oh, on a yeah. record. And I knew the the minute I heard it, I knew okay, I know there's a song in here, and now it's up to me to sort of bring it out of this of this instrumental. So that was really the nucleus, uh, and then all of a sudden, like another jam. And Mattingly Jam seventy two <laughs> and uh which became Falling Over You. So I was like, okay, why am I getting these songs? What am I to do with them? Um, the next phone call was to Chris Dodds, who I knew if anybody if we were gonna do Love Coma, he, Chris Dodds had to be a part of it. And at that point Chris was playing with four other bands and, you know, he's always on the road, and he's always he's super busy, so I'm like Let's not fool ourselves here. We're not trying to make the greatest comeback ever. We just thought, let's. Do we want to make a record? Do we have unfinished business? Are we as good as we thought we were back then? We, you know, those kind of questions were being talked about. So I brought a handful of songs to the plate, and Mattingly had a couple of killer songs, and we felt like we had we had something special here and that was that was a band thing and not just Chris Taylor Chris Taylor's new project you know right right yeah so we got into a recording studio and we just started hashing it out and it was like we didn't really even know what we had because we had never played these songs before and so we're recording them and playing them for the
0: first time how fun let's listen to burn the night away which is a beautiful piece it's acoustic it's the album rocks but this is a it's a great great song it's the closing song it's acoustic guitar cello a little bit of bass let's listen into it
2: life is holy for the mad ones precious for the sad ones i'm haunted and i'm tired and i don't know living in a cheap hotel through the walls i hear my spirit yell i'm restless and i'm broken and i don't know who i am there's nothing behind me everything ahead of me let's burn This is the
0: What was that like for you guys to be together after all those years? And how did Slocum factor into this or not? Um, First of all, everybody got really good.
1: Everyone got really, really good between the mid 90s and, you know, 2020. And everyone got really laid back. So there was none of that young angst. There's none of the urgency of trying to be cool or impress a record label people or trying to even impress fans. Like, we didn't even know if we had any anymore. We just knew, like, this is for us. We want to make this record because we know we can. We got into this studio, and I can't remember. it. Might, I think Chris Dodds may have called Matt. And Matt was like, oh heck i'll be a part of this and so we didn't even we kind of entered the studio not even thinking about having matt a part of it Mm -hmm. uh not for any other reason than we thought he was too busy or you're like Right, right this is this is us now let's not we weren't trying to like we weren't trying to say hey let's get the old guys back together
0: you know so many of of your songs chris have have meant so much to me over the years one that gets played probably most often is good night good night in fact this is a few weeks ago we were just getting ready for bed my wife and I laid down and here come our boys and they're all big young men now and they are laying in the bed with us and we're just laughing and being goofy as a family and it's starting to get late and I'm like all right guys your dad's got to go to sleep so I looked over and I said Alexa play good night good night by Chris Taylor and so here we are, just having this family moment, and you're you're singing "Good night, good night" to us, and that's that's kind of a common thing in our house. That that song, I mean, it's it's been around a bit. We're probably eight nine years. It's been around. Uh, that's a real special one. Maybe I'm just going to drop a little a, a little bit of that song in right here, so people can hear this because I think it's it's one of your one of your best.
1: Oh, thank you. Good night. Good night
2: Don't look down Bless your soul
1: Good night
2: Good night You'll be alright Sweetheart I'll put an orchestra In your head Every time This sweet, sweet melody blow your scary memories away.
0: So, yeah, cool, cool song. Um, (coughs) I remember you telling me why you wrote that song, and I think it had to do something with Cat. yeah, tell us about the, the writing of that song. If my memory serves me correctly,
1: I think Kat was having a nightmare. We both woke up startled and kind of like uneasy feeling. And, and I remember, I've never done this before and I've never done it since, but I remember grabbing my guitar and I thought, let me just strum some some real light chords and just to fill the room up with something sweet, you know. And I started these chord, this chord progression came out. And then, like a minute later, these lyrics started coming out. And I'm like, this is turning into something here. This isn't just me messing around on the guitar. And so, you know, whatever ungodly hour it was in the morning i reach over and grab my phone i'm like now my wife's laughing at me at this point because she's like what was a sweet intimate moment between her and i is now going to be oh you're turning this into a thing now okay and so almost that whole first verse was born just on the spot i didn't actually write any lyric down and so i just sang it into my phone it was in 2015 august of 2015 I got a phone call from my sister, my older sister's like, "I'm at the hospital with mom. She's not doing good and could you say a prayer for her or sing something?" I hadn't prayed out loud in years and I was like, I don't really feel comfortable in this praying." And she's like, "Yeah, you're on speakerphone, the doctors are here and mom's listening and and um, so I picked up my guitar. I started playing this good night good night song. That was the last time my mother ever heard my voice. Mm-hmm. And that was it. Became a a memory for me. And that song sort of became her, her acknowledgement. Every time I sang it now, it was like speaking my mother's name into existence. And it was it became something far more powerful than I ever thought it would be.
0: Yeah, and it must have been really cool later when you discovered that micro and Derry Doherty recorded that under their Kirsten oh my goodness name and yeah, that must have been super cool. And for those who haven't heard the whole song, if you listen really closely at the end, you hear a peal of thunder. Which, as you said, you recorded that at home. I remember you telling about how that's really, that's just natural. And it's almost on beat too, which is really kind of interesting.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was just, I, I recorded that whole, you know, daylight album just in my living room. And so it just so happened to be recording during a thunderstorm. And I remember thinking to myself, I really hope the power doesn't go out or else I'm going to lose this, the whole thing. And uh, yeah, it was it was almost like a magical... It's, to me, the song sounds very much like a demo, but there's something real special that was captured in it. You know, it's not, not too polished or sweet. And to have that thunder clap at the end
0: was almost surreal a couple of quick questions as we kind of near the end of our time together if you could go back to that moment when you decided that you wanted to make music kind of as your purpose in life and have a cup of coffee with that chris taylor what do you think you might share with him
1: i'd probably share with him to not be swept up in the depression that comes along with this you know you can easily slip from sheer excitement into a kind of depression when you're recording a song or making an album and uh you know you can go from this sounds incredible to no one is ever going to hear this (laughs) and uh and that can do somebody's head in you know you can fall into these traps of fear and depression So I just gently remind the younger version of myself to not swing the pendulum so far one way or the other. Just stay centered, do what you got to
0: do, but don't be afraid to do what you have to do. Let's talk about how people can support you. You're on Patreon. So people can help keep you fueled, keep you moving by being a Patreon supporter. And I, I've been a, i think pretty much since the beginning i've been a patreon supporter through patreon you can help with three five ten bucks a month with 20 bucks a month help artists to be able to put food on the table so they can make great art that you get in return and so patreon is a great way Uh, what's your um and i'll add the links down below so you're on patreon how else can people get your art, your music, and keep up with you and what's going on in in your artistic world.
1: Yeah, I mean, I know it's really hard for people to actually leave social media platforms, but to go to artists, you know, websites directly, you're gonna really find out what's going on without all the distractions around you. So Patreon, it's patreon.com slash World. And then for my official website, it's just christaylorworld.com. You can spend a lot of time on there if you want to look at the different types of artwork that I've created. And I have it in different sizes. So, you know, if you can't afford five, $600 original paintings, you can afford $60 killer prints, which nobody ever just gets a, a generic print. They're always getting something that I add paint to. It's got my, all my music on there as well. So you can... You can take the deep dive into my into my website
0: or my Patreon. If you are looking for a unique gift for somebody, you can get a, a pair of jeans customized. But if you're having trouble figuring out a gift to get to somebody, you can get something that is very, very unique for them. So I, I have to confess, Chris, that I, I stole an idea from you. I was listening to one of the shows you do on, on that San Antonio radio station, KPSA, mm-hmm. where you chat with san antonio artists and you ended the one i listened to with some quick fire kind of fun questions yeah and so since then i've kind of adapted and adjusted to kind of make it a little bit of my own and do some similar things because i thought what a great way to end a time together so i am officially tipping my hat to you giving you credit (laughs) for this i love it here's what we're going to do we're going to play a little bit of a game called this one or that one where I'm gonna list two things and you have to choose between the two. You can't there's no middle ground here. You can't, oh, you can't okay. edge here. So yes, tell me which one you would prefer of these two. You ready? Okay. All right. Dogs or cats? Dogs. Okay. So I know you have a dog, but I know blue is one of your dogs. So blue or cat? Okay, that's that's <laughs> blue. <laughs> <laughs> It's unfair to ask a man to choose between his dog and his bride. I'm kidding, of course. So this this will be a tough one for you. I know that you and I share a great affection for Simple Minds. Mm. And so I'm going to put you on the spot here. Jim Kerr, which of course is their vocalist, Urbano. You know
1: what? Jim Kerr right now. I'm Okay. Yeah, I'm full on Jim Kerr. I could go on and on, but we'll just leave it at that.
0: I've mentioned this to you before. Sometimes your vocal delivery echoes a little bit of Jim Kerr sometimes. Okay. Acoustic or electric? Uh, These days, electric. Okay. Beatles or stones? Uh, Stones. Wow. You're the first person who's gone stones on that one. All right. Here's the last one. And I don't know if you've been asked this question before. This is a tough one. Maybe you've never even thought about this. I don't know. If you could only do one... Of these for the rest of your life, which would it be, making visual art or audio art? Visual art, for sure. Really? Yeah. Not yeah. even a heartbeat missed there.
1: When I envision myself as an old man with long white hair and a, and a <laughs> white beard, there's something magical about. Like a, I really want my own property. And I want to go like Howard Finster on everybody's ass. Like, I just I just, want to, <laughs> I just want to disappear into the world and paint a bunch of stuff. And then maybe one day, some distant friend or relative stops by the old wooden shack up on the hill behind the trees and says, and, and creeps into my house and finds like a bag of bones with a paintbrush in his hand and like thousands of works of art that I left behind. That would be my ultimate dream,
0: dream way to go. Dude, you just described a movie. I, I think I have a, a script in mind here. <laughs> I hear you. So I'm I'm hearing a rise and shine in the background, which means that we're close to the end of our time. Chris, I can't possibly thank you enough for joining me my love and appreciation for you as a person and an artist is immense and I'm I'm so glad we got to hang out today.
1: Uh, I feel the same way about you it's you know I don't take for granted that anybody is even paying attention to what I'm doing let alone wants to have a conversation with me so uh, and that's not like a, a woe is me kind of a thing it's just more like hey I get it there's There's so many amazing artists and and musicians out there in the world that I'm just grateful I'm on your radar. And thanks for giving me a little platform to say, hey, this is is what I'm
0: doing. This is what I'm up to. Awesome. And thank you, everybody, for listening. If, If you've enjoyed my chat with Chris Taylor, share it on your socials. Swing by Chris's website. Buy something from his great offerings, his artistic works. You can leave me a kind review or follow, throw some stars my way. Those things are massive in helping me as a podcaster. So keep your suitcase packed and join me on our next Journey to the Stage. And that's a wrap.